Hey, Crime Tile listeners, this episode includes graphic details of the torture, murder, and dismemberment of a child. We want to give you that second warning, and we strongly advise listener discretion. So we're going back to the year of 2011, where five friends are involved in the murder of a 15-year-old boy. This episode highlights the dangers of unsupervised teens, drugs, alcohol, peer pressure, and mob mentality. All right, let's jump in. So on April 17th of 2011, 15-year-old Amber Wright sent a text message to her ex-boyfriend, Seth Jackson. And in this text message, she asked Seth if he would be willing to meet her at a friend's house to talk about their past relationship. The text message was out of the blue because the two had recently been feuding on Facebook and saying terrible things about each other. Seth had accused Amber of cheating and using meth, while Amber accused Seth of mental and verbal abuse. Later, those claims would escalate to physical abuse as well, although there were never any corroborating text messages or proof of those allegations. So the text message that was sent between Amber and Seth on Sunday, April 17th, went as follows. Amber sent a text to Seth that said, Well, I kind of need to talk to you about us working things out. Can you please call me, like, now? Don't sweat it. I want you to come over. And Seth replied, Okay, I'm walking up the hill now. Amber, if you have me jumped, I will never give you the time of day again. So if I get jumped say goodbye. And Amber replies, I swear you're not Seth. I could never do that to you. I just want you and me back. Now, during their conversation, Seth's friend Brittany expressed concerns that Amber's invitation was a trap and warned him not to go, fearing that Amber's new boyfriend, Michael Bargo, would beat him up. Despite Brittany's warning, Amber's invitation turned out to be genuine, and Brittany's fears of him getting beat up were pretty accurate. However, Amber's true intentions were much more sinister than a simple jumping. She had orchestrated a murder by manipulating a group of individuals to carry out a horrific and heinous act and take Seth's life that very night. Now, by all accounts, the two 15-year-olds were a dysfunctional relationship that included very little adult supervision. The two were involved in a sexual relationship with allegations of cheating and abuse. They both resided at the Bellevue Estates Mobile Home Park. And as Amber's mother would later say, the entire park was their playground. She felt safe allowing her children to run around the neighborhood freely. Now, before we discuss the murder, let's discuss the alleged motives and all of the people involved. Seth broke up with Amber when he discovered that she had cheated on him with 18-year-old Michael Bargo. Michael had bounced around from family member to family member when he wound up living with 18-year-old Charlie Ely. Charlie was living in the mobile home estates with her husband, who went back to prison on a probation violation. While her husband was in prison, she allowed her home to become a teen hangout. She was close friends with Amber, and the two were often together. Charlie had recently allowed Michael Bargo to move in along with 20-year-old Jason Soto. 
it would eventually come out that Jason, whom they all referred to as Roach, was also Charlie's secret boyfriend. Now, the other person involved in this murder conspiracy was 16-year-old Kyle Hooper. Due to family dynamics, he had been living with Charlie for about a week at the time of Seth's murder. Kyle and Amber were also half-siblings. Seth had recently begun hanging out with a girl who Kyle liked, which gave him extra incentive and motive to kill Seth. Michael allegedly wanted to kill Seth because Amber had lied about him abusing and raping her. Jason wanted to kill Seth because it seemed like a fun way to pass the time. Now later, Charlie would tell law enforcement the only reason she agreed to help kill Seth was that she allegedly got caught up in the group's mob mentality. Mob mentality is the phenomenon in which individuals in a group or a crowd may exhibit different behavior or decision-making than they would if they were alone. In a mob or a group setting, people can become more likely to engage in impulsive or irrational behavior, often spurred by a desire to conform to the group's actions or to follow the lead of a particularly influential member. The group dynamic can also lead to a sense of not being able to get caught or having no personal responsibility, which can result in individuals acting in ways that they may not act otherwise. And this seems to be exactly what happened with the teen killers as evidenced by the fact that they all seemed shocked when they discovered they were considered criminally responsible under the eyes of the law. And for some reason, the group believed that since Michael was the main aggressor, he was solely responsible. Well, they were all in for a big lesson on the criminal justice system. Hi, this is Daniel Rue the Real GM Radio Podcast. It's a Texas showdown in the postseason, and Bet Online is your number one source for all your baseball wagering information with up-to-the-minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. BetOnline has everything you need to stay up to speed on each league championship series all the way through the World Series. And don't forget, BetOnline is where you get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals for the NFL and college football right at your fingertips. BetOnline has real-time updates on statistics, news, and odds. We're serious up betting on football. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action at BetOnline, where the game starts. Later, Kai would say in a police interrogation room to his stepsister, Amber, that he thought Seth deserved to die. His reasoning for these thoughts was because Seth had, quote, laid hands on my sister, end quote. Police would soon discover that there were obvious motives, hidden motives, and zero motives. Even if all of these allegations were true, it didn't give any of these teens the right to take Seth's life. At 15 years old, he was still just a child. By all accounts, Seth was a beloved son and brother. He attended Bellevue High School and dreamed of one day becoming a professional UFC fighter. He had only been dating Amber for three months when he discovered that she had cheated on him with Michael. According to social media, their breakup was bitter with both Amber and Seth doing their best to make the other one jealous. Seth's parents stated that their son was heartbroken over the breakup and took it really hard. Eventually, his sorrow turned to bitterness, which he took to Facebook, where his grammar and context could have used some parental intervention. 
In one post, he wrote, quote, I wish I could go back and change things. I'm so sick of being lied to and used. As the weeks went by, his anger increased. In another post, he wrote, quote, Hello, everybody. My name is Amber Wright, and I smoke meth every day. I love the stuff because I'm a slut. In another, he stated, quote, You wanted this, Amber, so yeah, like I said in my song to you, you did this to yourself. In another, he wrote, quote, I'm single now, hit me up. I don't have a trick now. In more ominous posts, he threatened to beat up Michael for sleeping with his girlfriend. Amber also made several posts on Facebook about Seth, including one in which she wrote, quote, I'm so done with boys, they all suck. I'm single and ready to mingle. In a reply comment to Seth, Amber wrote, quote, It's all good, run your mouth all you want, because I know I'm ten times better than you. It takes a real man to accept the fact that he got broken up with, but it's obvious here that you're not being a man about the situation. You're being a little kid about it, and I'm not talking shit, I'm speaking the truth, and you know that just as much as I do. The taunting through Facebook escalated the negativity between all parties and ultimately made each of them believe that murdering Seth because of his posts was justified. Michael Bargo harbored an intense hatred for Seth and threatened on numerous occasions to kill him. In fact, a few days before the killing, Seth's mom heard Michael confront her son outside their home. He taunted Seth and told him, quote, I have a bullet with your name on it. At just 18 years old, Michael already had a criminal record that included burglary, theft, and statutory rape, a lesson he hadn't learned by, again, dating someone underage. Michael took to carrying around a gun and flexing it constantly. In early April, Michael and Amber's stepbrother, Kyle, challenged Seth and his friend Justin to a fight at Charlie Ely's trailer. When Seth and Justin approached Charlie's trailer, they heard gunfire and left. Later, Michael would say that he only shot his gun to scare them off. But on April 17th, everything changed. Suddenly, Michael was adamant that Seth had to die. He convinced Kyle and Justin that Seth should die for allegedly threatening to burn down Charlie's trailer. With Amber and Charlie's help, they coldly and casually planned Seth's murder. Michael convinced Amber to send Seth the messages, luring him over to Charlie's trailer. Amber was quite convincing in her messages that she wanted to work things out with Seth and get back together with him. Even when his friend Brittany warned him that this was most likely a trap, he still couldn't keep himself from believing Amber's lies. Somewhere in Seth's gut, he feared this was a trap. At first, he only agreed to walk to the corner where he was met by Amber and Charlie. Still sensing that this was a trap, he made an excuse for why he couldn't go to Charlie's home. When Amber and Charlie returned without Seth, the three boys were livid, and Amber, hoping to produce results this time, again contacted Seth, begging him to come back to Charlie's house so they could be together. Obviously, she lied, promising that this wasn't a trap and he wouldn't be, quote, jumped. Going against his gut feelings, he came to Charlie's trailer and sat down at the kitchen table. While Amber pretended to get water from the sink, her stepbrother Kyle came from a back bedroom and hit Seth over the head with a piece of wood. The unexpected attack momentarily stunned Seth. As he stood up, 
Michael and Justin came from a back bedroom where Michael shot him several times. Running on pure adrenaline and fear, Seth managed to get out of the front door with Justin holding onto his shirt trying to stop him from leaving. Justin and Kyle tackled him in the front yard in front of one of Charlie's neighbors. Later, she would testify that she just thought this was boys being boys. Once they dragged him back inside, Seth's fate was sealed. The three boys kicked and punched Seth until they thought he was unconscious. Michael shot him several more times, believing that he was now dead. Justin and Michael dragged Seth into the bathtub, where Michael smashed his kneecaps so that they could fit him inside of a blue sleeping bag. But that's when they realized that Seth was still alive. Michael shot him one last time in the face, ending any chance of survival. Once they were able to get him into the blue sleeping bag, they dragged his body out to the backyard and placed him inside of a burn pit. They used fuel and paint from three large five-gallon paint buckets as an accelerant. All five of them gathered around the burn pit, drinking beer and celebrating their kill. At one point, the fire got so high that it got dangerously close to a nearby tree. The neighbors were so concerned by the fire that they went over to talk to Charlie, who was happy and giggling, and told them that they were just having a bonfire with friends. At some point, Amber and Michael went to bed, and Jason stayed up all night doing his best to burn Seth's body into oblivion. You know the old saying that two can keep a secret if one of them is dead? Well, this was never going to stay a secret amongst the five of them. This was never a secret. It turns out that Amber and Kyle's stepfather knew all about the plan to kill Seth a few days earlier. He arrived the next morning while Michael was removing the teeth from what was left of Seth's skull. He brought cinder blocks and cable ties and helped scoop what was left of Seth into three five-gallon paint buckets. Then he drove Michael and Justin to a remote water-filled rock quarry in Ocala County where they tied cinder blocks to the buckets and sunk Seth's remains into the dark depths of the quarry water. Now, the very next day, there was a news report on the TV that Seth Jackson was missing. Kyle told his mom that he knew what happened to Seth. He told her that he watched Amber's boyfriend kill Seth before his eyes, leaving him traumatized. So Kyle's mom immediately took both Amber and Kyle down to the police station so they could help them recover Seth's body and arrest Michael. The only problem was that Kyle left out both his and Amber's involvement in the killing. When investigators spoke with Kyle, they got a much different version of what happened to Seth. In Kyle's first version, he told detectives that they all agreed to beat up Seth, but no one knew that Michael planned to shoot and kill Seth, which of course was a lie. He told investigators that out of nowhere, Michael came from a back bedroom and escalated a planned beating into an unplanned murder. Kyle told police this traumatized and angered him. However, little by little, he began admitting to more and more involvement. Because he was just 16 years old, his mother was present for much of the interrogation, and she would leave frequently to be with Amber in another room where she, too, was being interrogated. And each time Kyle's mom left the room, his story began to change. Finally, the interrogator told him that she knew he was more involved than he was saying, and he was trying to protect certain people. And that person specifically was his stepfather, who we will discuss in a minute. 
Now, Kyle, he stuck to his original story for as long as he could. At first, he stuck to the story that it was a planned beating due to Seth's treatment of his sister. He also left out the part where they lured Seth to Charlie's home. Instead, he told detectives that Seth just happened to show up at Charlie's door asking to speak with Amber. And when he did this, this enraged Kyle, who took a piece of a wooden door frame and hit Seth with it and yelled at him to leave and never bother her sister again. He told investigators that he refused to help Michael and Jason drag Seth to the bathtub where they smashed his knees and contemplated dismembering him. Kyle believed since he refused to drag Seth to the bathtub, this lessened his level of criminal responsibility. While Kyle was trying to minimize his involvement, the detective was doing her best to prove that this was in fact a premeditated murder. She slowly began asking questions until Kyle revealed more of the plan. Throughout the interview, Kyle cried and said he didn't want to get in trouble and he didn't want to go to jail. The investigator sidestepped this concern by telling Kyle that she was only after the truth. She asked him several times how Michael, who didn't drive a car or own a car, how he was able to leave with Seth's remains. Each time, Kyle insisted he was sleeping and didn't know who helped Michael leave or hide Seth's body. She told him that the problem with this story was that Charlie and Amber were in different interview rooms who were also being interrogated, and their stories were different. She told Kyle that she wanted to help him, but only if he were honest. She told him he had one last chance to tell the truth. Finally, Kyle admitted that there was a plan to kill Seth in place several days earlier. One of the people involved was 37-year-old James Havens. He was Amber and Kyle's stepfather. It was James who helped Michael dispose of Seth's remains and also took him to a relative's house in Gainesville where he could hide out. In exchange for his help, James asked Michael for help in killing Amber's biological father. And it was Amber who put an end to that plan. She told Michael while she had issues with her father, she didn't want him dead. According to Kyle, Michael had a plan to kill at least eight more people and become an assassin for hire. The day prior, Michael added two teardrop tattoos to his face, symbolizing two other people he had allegedly killed. He told the group that Seth was going to be his third body. Kyle told the investigator that Michael didn't have a job and his primary source of income was selling drugs. Even with this new version of events, which was closer to the truth, Kyle still tried his best to mitigate his involvement. But this was impossible given the fact that Charlie, Amber, and Jason were also being interrogated. In another interrogation room, 18-year-old Charlie Ely had people she wanted to protect, too. It was someone different than who Kyle wanted to protect. Like Kyle, she first told investigators that Seth came to her house on his own looking for Amber. She left out the text messages or the fact that they met Seth on the corner trying to lure him back to her house. She told investigators that Kyle was sitting on the couch in the living room fuming. Near his feet was a piece of wood from a broken doorframe. And she told investigators that out of nowhere, Amber's brother Kyle came to Seth and hit him over the head with a piece of wood, which stunned him. She stated that both her and Amber were in shock and ran to her back bedroom and hid inside her bathroom. Once inside the bathroom, Charlie and Amber heard gunfire. And a few minutes later, they allegedly heard more gunfire. 
Charlie explained that Kyle had beef with Seth because he had previously, quote, laid hands on Amber. She told investigators that after they heard the gunfire, Michael came to her room and threatened both her and Amber. He told her that if anyone asked, she didn't hear anything. He also instructed them both to stay in their room or he would have two more bodies on his hands. Charlie said that she heard commotion in the back of the house and eventually she thought she might have smelled smoke and she thought maybe Michael was using the fire pit behind her home. Charlie told investigators that the next day she and Amber woke up between 11 a.m. and noon. And when the investigator asked more direct questions about the fire pit, she claimed that she had a stuffy nose from allergies, so she didn't really see or smell anything differently. And by smell, she means that she didn't smell them burning Seth's body all night, or the fact that they all surrounded his body and drank and socialized around a bonfire. Of course, she left that part out of the story. When pushed for more details, Charlie stated that the only thing she noticed out of the ordinary was the shower doors had been removed from her guest bathroom. Charlie also conveniently noted two missing five-gallon cans of paint and cleaning supplies and remembered that the burn pit looked like it had recently been used. When asked if Amber had any involvement in Seth's death, she said that Amber was with her the entire time, hiding in her room and had zero involvement. Hi, this is Daniel Rue the Real GM Radio Podcast. It's a Texas showdown in the postseason, and BetOnline is your number one source for all your baseball wagering information with up-to-the-minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. BetOnline has everything you need to stay up to speed on each league championship series all the way through the World Series. And don't forget, BetOnline is where you get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals for the NFL and college football right at your fingertips. BetOnline has real-time updates on statistics, news, and odds. We're serious up betting on football. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action at Bet Online, where the game starts. Now, Charlie must have short term memory issues, or she's an outright liar. When she was confronted with the details shared by Kyle, her story changed. She admitted that there was a plan to kill Seth, although she never believed it was a real plan. This is a recurring theme with all of the members involved in Seth's death. None of them believed that Seth would die, which they all believed would clear them of criminal responsibility. Charlie finally admitted to 90% of what Kyle shared. However, in her version, Jason Soto was not home and had zero involvement. And when they asked why she chose to protect him, she said because he was scared and asked her to leave him out of it. In truth, she was dating Jason while her husband was in jail and she was trying to protect him. She cried and told investigators that she couldn't go to jail because she was pregnant. But we know from court records that she never gave birth to a child. She admitted to never having the pregnancy confirmed by a doctor, and she could likely have been mistaken, or she could have been lying in hopes being pregnant would garner her sympathy. When Jason was interrogated, he was extremely vague and denied being present on the day of Seth's murder. He told the investigators he hadn't been in trouble since he was a juvenile and had plans to join the military and turn his life around. And when he was confronted with the details that the others shared, he had more to add to that story. He admitted that there was a plan for Michael to go on a killing spree beginning with Seth. 
However, he claimed that his involvement was limited to hitting Seth with a broken axe handle and helping Michael drag him to the bathroom. Incredulously, he complained about a painful knee injury he sustained while wrestling Seth to the ground and dragging him back inside the trailer. He said when Michael shot Seth in the face, he was standing in the doorway and had very little involvement. Again, like the others, Jason thought that this would somehow absolve him of criminal responsibility. Now, he eventually admitted to burning Seth's body and helping to dispose of his remains in three five-gallon buckets at the rock quarry. Now, each time police interrogated one of the parties, they each gave up a little bit more information about Seth's murder. In a strategic decision, law enforcement decided to put Amber, Charlie, and Kyle into the same room and record them while they talked. At one point, they all began crying and saying they can't go to jail, and it was all Michael's fault. Amber seemed concerned that everyone was going to hate them for killing Seth, and she didn't want to spend five years in jail. For some reason, she thought that she was only going to spend five years in jail, and she would be released when she was 20 years old. Charlie, who was 18, cried the hardest because she didn't have any phone numbers memorized, and she wouldn't be able to call her mother-in-law for help. She was also worried, being that she was 18 years old, that she would be charged as an adult and would go to prison for much longer than Kyle and Amber. And Kyle, he still felt like Seth's death was justified because Seth had allegedly threatened to burn down Charlie's house and kill Michael. He also allegedly hit Amber. This was something that Amber would clear up years later in an interview with Piers Morgan. Now, the most surprising interrogation was James Havens, the 37-year-old who was Amber and Kyle's stepfather. He had no problem lying to investigators, and any suggestions that they made, he admitted to easily. At first, he denied knowing about the plot. He denied taking Michael and Jason to dispose of Seth's remains, and he denied asking Michael to kill Amber's biological father. When they asked him why, as a father and 37-year-old man, he got caught up in a murder pact with teenagers, he had no answer. The detective asked him if Michael forced him to participate. He said yes. When they asked if Michael held a gun to him, he said yes. When they told him he was lying, he said yes, that he was lying. He too tried the I-didn't-think-that-they-were-serious defense, and it worked. While he was originally arrested as an accessory after the fact, eventually all the charges against him were dropped in exchange for his cooperation. Now, Michael Bargo, who denied any involvement in Seth's murder, was deemed the ringleader of the group. He was convicted of first-degree murder. He was sentenced to death in 2013 and became the youngest person on Florida's death row. Michael's lawyers appealed his death sentence, arguing that the judge made errors during the sentencing phase of the trial. In 2016, the Florida Supreme Court overturned Michael's death sentence and ordered a new sentencing hearing. During the new hearing, the defense argued that Michael was intellectually disabled and therefore ineligible for the death penalty. However, the jury ultimately recommended the death penalty once again, and the judge agreed to reinstate his death sentence. The decision was based on several factors, including the heinous nature of the crime and the fact that Michael had exhibited a lack of remorse. 
The judge also noted that Michael's intellectual disability claim was not supported by the evidence presented during the hearing. Michael had previously been diagnosed as bipolar, but that diagnosis has changed to schizoaffective disorder, which is a mental health condition that combines symptoms of schizophrenia and mood disorders such as bipolar or major depressive disorder. It is a relatively rare condition and affects approximately 0.3% of the general population. While Michael remains on death row, his case is still in the appeals process and may take several more years before a final decision is made. Amber Wright was charged as an adult and convicted of first-degree murder. She was originally sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. That sentence was vacated due to a U.S. Supreme Court ruling stating that juveniles cannot be sentenced to mandatory life without parole as it violates the Eighth Amendment's probability of cruel and unusual punishment. During her resentencing, her lawyers argued that she was a victim of abuse and manipulation by Michael, who was the ringleader of the group. They also presented evidence of Amber's history of trauma and mental health struggles. The judge ultimately agreed that Amber had experienced a difficult upbringing, but her actions were still egregious and warranted a significant sentence. The judge stated that the new sentence provided Amber a chance to be rehabilitated and potentially reintegrated into society. Her new sentence would make her eligible for parole after serving a minimum of 25 years in prison. Charlie E. Lee was convicted of accessory after the fact to first-degree murder and sentenced to 10 years in prison. In 2012, high-profile criminal defense attorney Jose Baez, who famously represented Casey Anthony, took up Charlie's appeal. Baez argued that Charlie's sentence was too harsh and that she should be released from prison. Baez's argument focused on Charlie's limited role in the murder and her history of abuse and trauma. He had also argued that Charlie had showed remorse for her actions and had made significant progress in her rehabilitation while in prison. In 2021, her appeal was successful and Charlie was released from prison. Kyle Hooper pleaded guilty to first-degree murder to avoid a death sentence. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Justin Soto was also convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. In an interview Amber gave to Piers Morgan for his Women Who Kill series, she expressed regret and remorse for her actions. She admitted to manipulating Michael into killing Seth and referred to herself as a monster. And the prosecution They believed that she was the mastermind of Seth's senseless and horrific murder. The peer pressure and mob mentality that led to Seth Jackson's murder were rooted in a toxic mix of jealousy, revenge, and a desire for acceptance among a group of young individuals. Amber was angry. She was jealous when Seth started dating another girl, and she wanted to get revenge. She turned her new boyfriend, Michael Bargo, and a group of her friends who all shared her animosity towards Seth. And together, they conspired to lure Seth to a house under false pretenses, where they proceeded to beat, shoot, and ultimately kill him. The group's actions were fueled by a sense of belonging and loyalty to each other, and they were willing to do anything to impress and prove themselves to one another. 
The tragedy highlights the dangers of peer pressure and the negative consequences of blindly following the actions of others without considering the impact on others. So who was the real mastermind behind Seth's horrific and senseless murder? According to Amber, it was Michael. She testified against him at the trial, telling the jury that she was afraid of him, and he threatened to kill her and her family if she didn't lure Seth to his death. However, after five years in prison, Amber finally admitted she was jealous, manipulative, and a monster who callously led Seth to his torturous death. That sounds very much like the mastermind. We're going to end this episode with a few shout-outs this week. Thank you, Valerie, Amy, Rick, Summer, Kristen, and Marquetta. Thank you all so much for becoming patrons and supporting Crime Salad. We really, really appreciate you. Enjoy the ad-free listens and occasional bonus content. All right, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Hi, this is Daniel Rue the Real GM Radio Podcast. It's a Texas showdown in the postseason, and Bet Online is your number one source for all your baseball wagering information with up-to-the-minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Bet Online has everything you need to stay up to speed on each league championship series all the way through the World Series. And don't forget, Bet Online is where you get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals for the NFL and college football right at your fingertips. Bet Online has real-time updates on statistics, news, and odds. We're serious up betting on football. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action at Bet Online, where the game starts.